0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco and I'm here with my co-host Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people. Our mission is to bring experts, legends, and hidden gems from within and surrounding the game to one place so we can share their stories and insight with you. You'll hear the stories behind the game, including trials and tribulations, setbacks, wins, losses, and lessons. Before we jump into this episode, Phil and I need your help. Take a moment to smash that follow and subscribe button, and then go leave us a review. The follow and subscribe button is that little plus sign on the top right if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And that's what's going to help us to reach as many people as possible and share with you how we can all be living a basketball-strong life. That is what Phil and I are here to do, so we appreciate it, and thank you in advance. This isn't just a podcast. It's a community, and it's a movement, and we want it to feel that way, so be sure to visit us at www.basketballstrongpodcast.com, and you can also email us directly at tim, that's T-I-M, at basketballstrongpodcast.com. We want to hear from you, so take us up on that. If you subscribe, give us a review, and drop us an email, we'll send you a Basketball Strong t-shirt, and then automatically enter you in our rolling premium prize giveaway contest, and I'm telling you, you won't want to miss that. Now, let's go get Basketball Strong. Our guest today is Henry Barrera. Henry is the Director of Strength and Conditioning for Olympic Sports at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. He functions primarily as the Men's Basketball Director of Performance. Prior to coming to Liberty, Henry was a performance training specialist at Nike World Headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon, where he was instrumental in designing training content for signature projects, including Jordan Brand's Terminal 23 in New York and The Hangar in L.A., as a basketball player, Henry made his way to Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. At Multnomah, he dominated despite being told he was too small, and ultimately, he was named the 99-2000 NCAA Pete Maravich National Player of the Year. In this episode, Henry shares what painful family tragedy he was forced to grapple with as an early father and how he uses this to shape himself to this day. How he ignored doubters to win an award for being the nation's best point guard despite being undersized. What the core pillars of the Liberty University men's basketball team are. What he believes is the one thing that signals mastery of a craft and so much more. Let's get into the conversation. All right. I want you to paint a picture for us, Henry, in terms of what does it look like for you as you're just falling in love with the game and then take us through what that process was like. Get it, get us out of the gates with, with that broad question.
1: Yeah, man, that's a great one. So man, I'm going to take it way, way back. Uh, I'm like 10, 12 years old. You know, I grew up in a small town called Grandview Washington, about eight, ten thousand 10,000 people. Um, Really, the the town wasn't very good at basketball, and this coach named Mike Schwede showed up and uh, turned it around. So he built the feeder system. So by the time you were in sixth grade, you know exactly what to expect in high school. So he built a culture of like standards and expectations, and we got to watch the the guys in front of us have success, you know, play at the state tournament, go to college, get scholarships, all that stuff. So for me, man, it was just guys ahead of me that were laying the, the groundwork and foundation where I said, man, I want to be like that, whatever they're doing. I want some of that. And I fell in love with the game. Probably should have played something else. You know, I'm about five, seven at best. So, uh, (laughs) you know, a lot of encouragement to do other things, but man, I just love the game of basketball and it's uh, literally taken me all around the world, giving me opportunities to, to meet people like you, to, to do life with people like you and just to learn from, from, from all types of people.
0: I love that. What uh drill down a little bit into what was it about coach sweaty who that, that was, you know, some people can, you know, like you said, he turned it around. Well, you -hmm. said expectations and standards were something he implemented. Double click on that for me a little bit.
1: Yep. So man, he really taught us how to love the process of work. You know, I think uh, that translates to all sports, all of life, man, you, you, you showed up at a practice and you knew you were going to be tested. And that for for some people, that's what, that's what clicks. That's where the bug bites you and you're like, man, I want a little bit more of this tomorrow. I don't really like how it feels now, but man, I see the progress. And I think once you can show athletes, once you can show people progress, you can show them results, man, the gates, the floodgates are open and they want more. If, if that's if that's what floats your boat, if it doesn't, you'll run far away from that. But for me, it, it, it lit my heart on fire and I just kept pursuing that. I
2: love that that's so much. Cool. Um, are your parents sporty or siblings? And if so, basketball or something else?
1: No, man, I'm, I'm like second generation. You know, my, my parents were born in the States. My grandparents were born Mexico, Spain. Um, so we're, they're just like hardworking people, man. Blue collar all the way. My dad is a construction guy. Uh, I, I, I've i never seen my dad sleep in when I was a kid. Like he used <laughs> to take a spray bottle, spray Me my neither. face. <laughs>
2: yeah. So he was so a hard, what, he was a hard ass then.
1: Oh, he was a straight hard ass, man. Like, I mean, everybody loved him, man, because he he worked hard and he lived hard and he just he he brought people in, man. And if you if you weren't about that life, he wasn't
2: rocking with you. So talk to us a little bit about um, your college career. So I believe you went. Did you go to Yakima um, Community College, Yakima Valley Community College first off? Yeah, I started at Yakima Valley.
1: Man, my, my dream as a kid was to play Division One basketball. I don't think I was quite good enough coming out of high school. I, I think I got a little bit better as the years went on. So I got a scholarship to play at a junior college, you know, Yakima Valley. Really unique situation. I played for Dean Nicholson, who's in the Hall of Fame. NAIA, yeah, I was going to
2: ask you. Yeah, I was, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about Coach Nicholson? Because when I was researching that, that was my next question on the list.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So unique situation. It was co-coaches. So Leon Rice, who's now at Boise State, and Dean Nicholson were the, the co-head coaches. Uh, Dean was about 69, 70 years old at the time. He was coming out of retirement, coached at Central Washington. Man, he just, uh, he exuded just the game. Like, he just loved the game. Why, why else is a, a 70-year-old guy gonna come in and coach a junior college, <laughs> you know? So really unique there. And then the kind of the relationship with him and Leon was was kind of yin and yang, man. Just, they would balance each other out. Leon was like super upbeat, super, super outgoing, super gregarious. Uh and Dean Nicholson was was so far removed from players, he just X's and O's and just tactician just taught us the game. And that mix really worked, man. So I had a blast. I love junior college. I I'm a super big advocate and and supporter of going to junior college. It's it's rough, it's it's raw, it's authentic. You just gotta go and hoop. Henry, you
0: use the words rough, raw, ready, Um, rough and ready. Yeah, what what was the um Take us a little bit further into that community college uh, experience and environment in terms of community college sports. What are the what are the uh, challenges of it, and what are the things that you're better for because of going through that?
1: Uh, challenge challenges just, just straight up hard, man. Like every day is, is a battle. Like, you know, you're at a community college for a reason, you know. It, it's yeah. either grades or it's like physical ability or it's mental capacity. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's all three. So I think when you show up at Yakima, they they literally didn't cut anybody guys would just like attrition, just fall off. Right. And so you showed up every day and some guys didn't step on the court. They were just there waiting for their opportunity. Some guys just like, Hey, it's never going to work out. So I'm not going to come back. And other guys just showed up every day and were literally pros before, you know, the term existed or whatever. They just came, took care of their business. They knew exactly what they wanted. And they got that out of the junior college stepping stone to move on to the next opportunity.
0: How did how did you approach those early days of you know before you got there, just getting there, and you're looking around? You're like, how am I going to make this my my stepping stone and and get something out of this? Like, how how'd you do that mentally?
1: Yeah, man. I think my upbringing at that Grandview really really tied into that. So I I think a lot of people want what it looks like, but they don't want what it feels like. Yeah. So you know? mm. you know, they have this glamorous picture of what what it's going to be so they see the highlights and all that stuff well I don't I've never cared about that like for me the work is the work and if you're willing to do it you have an opportunity Uh, so what happened with me growing up in Grandview and coming from a small town and and just like just to make it out of the town was a success you know so you get that kind of built into your DNA and you show up for whatever you do and you just you have success because you just outlast people you know, and that's kind of my mentality of all of life. That's why why I am where I am. I just outlast, and I show up, and I do my job. Yeah.
2: Now you're being modest because when you transferred, you averaged almost a double double. I think you were right at 20 points and around eight assists a game. So, can you tell us a little bit about um, your last year or two of college and that experience, and maybe how compare and contrast that a little bit? For sure. Um, I think
1: one, I was super immature in junior college. So, you know, if I'm honest. I partied my ass off, man. Just, uh, I, I was living away from, home. yeah, you, you know, just college life, man. And so priority-wise, I thought I could do all the extra curriculars and still have success on the court. And if you're not extremely blessed athletically or off the charts, skill level wise, it's really hard to to participate in all kinds of If you're,
2: if you're not Dennis Rodman, if you're not Dennis Rodman, yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> God bless yeah. him. I'm, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm far from that. So, for me, man, it's just uh, getting my life in order. Those that was the biggest flip. So, uh, you know, I, if you want to dive into personal stuff, I became a believer. Uh, you know, faith it. is a big part of my life. So that was a big flip for me. Once, once what, I what
0: what what triggered that? I mean, was that you? Just uh, something? Tr- did, did somebody? You know, did somebody step in with you there? Did somebody help you do that? What 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 did that?
1: Yeah, man. So I went on tour with a. a, a nbc basketball camp so i went to europe and i played th- like two three weeks uh england ireland scotland and uh they gave me this bible man and I, I didn't even open it up on the trip i was just there to hoop like that's always been my mo i'm just i'm just here just here to hoop and so i got back home you know ended up going to yakima valley i moved out and uh, one night we have this this party man like three four hundred people college party you know we're getting after it and uh that night I got an MIP a minor in possession. We had, we had, you know, we're serving alcohol to underage, you know, college kids, whatever. So I got a ticket. I had to do community service, but the end of the night I walked into my room and I opened, opened the Bible and uh, there's a verse Proverbs 14, 12, I think it is. And it says there's a way that's right to man, but at the end it leads to death. I read the Proverbs 15:25 or something like this. And it was the exact same verse. And I was like, man, well, if this stuff is real, like wow. prayed to God, like hey, changed my life, whatever. I ended up moving out of a house, five bedroom house with college teammates, moved back home, which is about forty five minutes away. Commuted the rest of the year, man, it was a pain, right? But I started, uh, I started just digging into to faith and exploring that, and for me, it resonated, it made sense, wow. and that flipped the switch for me. Didn't didn't from that day on, my life was just different. Powerful.
0: I,
2: love I mean, I love that
0: man. That, that thank you for sharing that.
2: I love that. It's like if your stated beliefs don't kind of reflect in your character and how you treat other people and how you live your life, then it doesn't mean anything. So you took that real from from the get-go. That, that faith was the size of a mustard seed, and you took it, and you made a big sacrifice. You created at least an hour and a half commute for yourself every day, and it did impact actually how you were living your life day-to-day almost immediately. So kudos to you for putting things into practice because we can all say this or that right but if we're not living it what does it really mean
0: so yeah no that's that's you're so right phil so things start to fall into place as you see that stuff clicking and then i'm just trying to put myself into the timeline for you i mean like phil said you you end up being uh, i think pete maravich national player of the year when it was all said and done after that experience at Going on to Multnomah University, right? Is that is that how things kind of tell me about that? Put those dots together for us.
1: Yeah. So for me, it's different for everybody, man. Faith is such a journey, and and it's really I'm am a little bit uncomfortable, man, because I don't share that with like I'm a believer, but I keep it on the low, man. My life should reflect, you know, what I believe. So I'm not gonna post that I'm it on this or I'm. That.
2: It does. We know you, and we know it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah.
1: So um, really, what happened was this, man. So once once I made that 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 decision that transition I didn't mess with anything man I wasn't I wasn't trying to get a date I wasn't trying to go to parties I wasn't like you could find me in a gym Friday night till midnight one o'clock in the morning so I substituted all the things that I was doing and I just hooped like you know academics probably won't want to hear this but I didn't go to school for any other reason than to play basketball like I didn't care about the degree I was getting I didn't care about anything else I wanted to play basketball and from then I decided you know what Like I wanna be a pro, I wanna get paid to play basketball. Despite of how big I am or or what people say, like I'm gonna get paid to play. And so for me, it was tunnel vision from there. I literally carried around a gallon jug and wore a hat that covered my eyes and didn't talk to people very much. And I just went to the gym. Like the only reason I went there is the coach told me he'd give me a key to the gym and that I would literally work in the gym, so I had
2: 24-7 access. You were like a Nike ad, that old Nike ad where the kids got running at three and shooting hoops at five. You remember that one? Man, yeah, those I are the mamba hours right there. Those
0: they are, are the, the mamba, mamba hours. hours.
2: <laughs> They're the Jocko Willink hours, 15 a.m. sweaty workouts, <laughs> blood on the floor. <laughs> I, it's probably just stubbornness, man. Keep going so with you, the uh, timeline, man. Yeah, college yeah. and then into Sweden and the pros and your, your journey around the world, man. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um... Man, I finished my senior year, you know, was a national player of the year at that level, which, you know, pretty big accomplishment. Um, yeah. And then I, I was in the gym one day, man. I was trying to get overseas. I was, My coach was contacting all, all types of people. I um, was supposed to go to France, and literally two weeks before I left, they called and said, hey, we want a bigger guard. Sorry. Like, that's it's just business. Uh, wow. That's that's my first real, realization with how, how real things are, like the business piece of it. Uh, I ended up being at the right place at the right time. I'm I'm going through my workout. I was uh, religious, man, maniacal about working out at at nine o'clock every morning for an hour. That was my first workout. I'd literally schedule a class at seven thirty or eight so I could sleep through it or whatever. Wake up and then go go get my workout in. Yeah, so I'm in the gym. I'm working out. I'm doing my regular thing. This guy walks in and he's like, you know, who are you? What are you doing? Told him, hey, this is my mission. He he was working in Sweden for, for some organization. He said, hey, I have connects over there. And so he said, if you're interested, here's t- contact this guy. And I thought, okay, whatever, I gave it a shot. Um, sure enough, they had an opportunity for me to play in Sweden. Um, I was I was dating my, my wife, now wife at the time. And she said, I'm not gonna go unless you finish school. Cause I had six credits left, one class. And she's like, I'm not going unless you finish this. And I was like, wow. well, I, I'm probably gonna go anyway. Uh, I, I I didn't though. Um, I finished my, there there was the patent.
2: there was the patent for the next 20 years. Yeah. Uh, So I finished that
1: up and we were on a plane and we literally, we lived in Sweden for a whole year. Uh, best, one of the best years of my life, man. We traveled all over the, all over the world, you know, different countries. I played, um, just had a blast, man. And at the end of the year, she's like, look you've been chasing this thing for a long time and uh, you know, like it's probably time for us to start a real life from 24, 25 years old. Um, And so she said, Hey, let's go home and let's, let's, let's start a life. And so I didn't, I didn't stop playing because I got hurt or because I couldn't keep going. It was literally like I picked up a check. I did what I wanted to do
2: and that was good enough for me. I love it. That's huge. Tell us about, tell us about the makeup of that team in Sweden. Were there other Americans Were the guys from the UK, Australia? Was it, all Swedish guys plus you. That was a really unique team. I think we had like three Canadian
1: guys: um, Malcolm Campbell, Mark Turner, um, and then we had a couple of Swedish kids. It was kind of an international group. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was by far the most interesting basketball experience I've ever had. You could be playing in a, a great arena one night and like a rec center the next night. Uh, people could be smoking at halftime. Like I mean, it was just weird,
0: <laughs>
1: you know. So, but it was, it was beautiful, man. It was, it was such a fun time in my life to, to just keep playing the game. And like that's when I started reading books, man, I had nothing else to do. So I was hooping. I started reading read? books.
2: Can you remember a few, maybe two or three, you started, you, de- you started. Oh, absolutely, man.
1: Like I, I'm an extremist. So the first book like that I really got into was The Count of Monte Cristo. And so from then I just started reading all types of book, you know, self-help, all, all kinds. You know
0: um that's uh, i love it and just you know by finding time to to keep growing yourself amongst this sort of new chapter of your professional career pause going back i'm, I'm hitting rewind for a second i want to i want you to take us into your the moment you heard those words when that first agent that first person there on the phone calls up and says sorry you know, you we're looking for a bigger guard. It's not going to work out for you. How do you take that information? What what's going in your head? How do you take that, and then how do you put that phone down and say, "Here's what we got to do."
1: Um, man. So the the way I'm wired is like I'll be discouraged for like an hour. You know, okay. so I'll okay. be pissed off for lick, about an lick hour. Lick your
0: wounds, pissed off. Lick your wounds for an hour.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of go into a like isolate. You know, like I'll go yep. for a walk. Like you know. What's going on? That kind of thing. And then for me after that, it's like, Hey man, let's take a step and let's keep rolling. Like, so, okay. Uh, okay, what's the next opportunity? Forget about France. Let's go on to the next one. There's gotta be somewhere where I can just get my foot in the door. So it's just, uh, I've always had this mantra, man. I, I just keep knocking, keep knocking. And eventually I think a door will open. So that's just keep how I live
0: knocking. my life. Man. Knocking. We
2: need that keep on a t-shirt, knocking. baby. Yeah, we keep need that knocking. On a t-shirt. I love it. I love it. Um, yes, sir. So, so you mentioned nighttime workouts. You mentioned being religious about this 9 a.m. workout. Can you take us through a typical day and when you would train, you know, the weights, the gym, the, the, the gym time? Um, just take us through a typical day in your college life and... uh Obviously, you mentioned the kind of before and after transition there from the party into the, you know, developing your faith and developing better lifestyle habits. But what did a typical day look like? And where did your training fit into that daily after you made that that good transition?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think I mentioned I went to Europe with this uh, NBC camps. Well, they gave me my first journal. Right. And so. Mm. And they talked about scheduling your day, lifestyle management, whatever, all this stuff, you know, and at the time, again, being immature, I'm like, Oh, whatever. I don't know if this stuff is real. I don't know if it works. Uh, but I did start writing things down. And, uh, so I, I started to kind of schedule my day out a little bit. I knew that, that I wanted to get a morning workout, but I don't really like like 6am workouts. That's just not my, my jam. So Maybe. again, I'd rather <laughs> sleep, through, yeah, sleep through a class and then wake up and go. So I would literally work out in the morning by nine o'clock, uh, go have lunch, take care of any school stuff, have practice. And then I'd come back in the evening, you know, and I was really like, okay, this is gonna be a really skilled technical piece of my day. This will be a repetition piece of my day. And this will be just like kind of a fun, I'm gonna find someone to play ones with or, or whatever. So I started building that kind of thing. And it was, man, it was cool. After a while, people were like, hey man, i want to come work out with you. Well, they, they'd last about a week because they'd be like, nah, man, we're gonna, <laughs> why, why are we gonna work out three times in a day? Let's just do it once. And a lot of that was just being, you know, young and dumb. I'm just gonna work super, super hard. Maybe it was like overkill, but it worked for me. You know, like I said, everybody's journey is different, but that that worked for me.
0: As this year, which you described as one of the greatest of, you know, experiences of your life, you know, in Sweden, transitions. You get back here, hit the ground in in where and and what what's what are the steps you start taking.
1: Yeah, man. I don't know how deep you guys want to go, man. As Um, deep as you want. We got time.
2: If you got time, we got time. And people want to hear your story. We want to hear stories. Yeah. yeah. All
1: right, man. So this is a tough one for me. Uh, We get back and uh, my wife gets pregnant and uh, we have our first daughter. Her name is Eliana Bell. Uh, She's born August 10th, uh, 2000 ish. And as soon as she's born, she starts having seizures. Right. Mm. And something's just not right, man. So she comes out, she's beautiful, everything looks perfect, but she starts having seizures. So her and I are rushed to a specialty hospital and my wife joins us later. We're there for 31 days. On, on day 31, this guy named Dr. Koch comes in and he says, look, your daughter has neonatal neonatal leukodystrophy. It's a proximal disorder. She's gonna die. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a believer. I'm gonna take her home, I'm gonna take care of her. Uh, you know, I disagree with you, right? So fast forward. You know, we did everything we could. I, I became kind of like a chemist, man. I'm, I'm injecting. She had an uh, N tube, which is through her nose, a G tube. Like Her life was rough, man. She'd have seizures like 50, 60, 70 a day. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm 24, 25 years old. I'm trying to figure this thing out. And so I'm super involved in coaching, working with athletes. I'm coaching high school basketball. I come home one night. And I'm going to take a group of high schoolers to a football game. And my wife says, Hey, I don't think you should go tonight. Eliana's not doing well, blah, blah, blah. So I okay, cool. Call the kids. Well, it turns out that night, man, she's just having a rough night. I hold her in my arms and, uh, I had a stethoscope. We had all this medical equipment around our house and literally she died in my arms, man. I listened to her heart fade away. So super intense, man. Super like mind blowing. Who's going to even write that man. Who's going to think that, um, so from then, um, Man, life was just, I was like, man, is God real? Is, is, is this what's supposed to happen? Like, why is this happening to me? All that kind of stuff. But again, all that stuff from Grandview and Yakima Valley and Multnomah and, and being in Sweden, man, you're going to find a way. So my wife says, hey, I want to get out of Portland. I want to move away from here. This is, this is a horrible place to be right now. So we moved to Eugene, Oregon. I work with a guy named Scott Phelps. We had been running camps and clinics across the country, uh, speed and explosion. And we, we we had a great like synergy. So he said, look, come and come and work for me. And I said, Scott, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to. I just want to be behind the scenes. He's like, look, I'm going to let you do that for six months and then I'm going to pull you out of that. So at the time, uh, Speed Quest was one of the largest manufacturers of ballistic ladders, bungee cords, all this speed training equipment. So I'm in the back barn, like literally bolting in ballistic ladders and tying up bungee cords and, uh, you know, six months later, Scott says, look, you're not doing this anymore. You're going to start training athletes. Uh, so he plugged me in with uh, Jim Radcliffe at University of Oregon. Uh, I, I did some sub- substitute teaching there at the, at the university, started training athletes, and little by little started coming out and, you know, just being a normal human again. So you can ask any questions you want. I know that was heavy, but that's that's how it is.
0: Well, you got me, you got me tearing up, man. And, and it's, it's only because, um, I'm just, you know, trying to process, I have two little two little beautiful girls and of, of my own and, um, the courage it just took for you to tell that and, and what you went through to, to be able to, you know, be sitting here and then tell that and, and, and live that and, and then turn that into something, um, I don't have any words for it, but uh, if I was right there with you, I'd give you a hug and uh, thank you for sharing that. I think people, you know, can take that and, and, you know, we all get into these moments of, you know, poor me, you know, my, my, this is tough on me and, 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 you know, my, my, the struggle I have right now and, you know, to, to put it in perspective and think about um, you know, what, what, people go through to get to where they are a lot of times we never know and we never really understand that and for you to shed light on that and be willing to share that is something that you know uh Absolutely. phil and i are grateful for here and in, in our audience uh, I'm, I'm speaking for them right now so thank you for that
1: big time to appreciate that man. Oh, man
0: um no it's uh that it just yeah like i said no no words but much much love um And, and so, you know, it's a hard, you know, hard, not, 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 not a topic we could just easily transition to, but what was that like when you then had to kind of find a new passion or a new avenue, obviously still delivering through the game, being around the game and athletes and that kind of thing. But was that an easy transition for you to kind of fall in love with that new, you know, sort of performance coaching aspect, strength coaching, that kind of thing. Was that, did that take a while? What was that like?
1: man it was instrumental just because uh you know two things one is i was so i, I was just trying to figure out what's wrong with my daughter man how, how do i how do i help her uh, and so i started you know reading about neurological disorders and you know the central nervous system the peripheral nervous system all this stuff man just really just human human physiology kind of stuff man just trying to figure yeah, things out yeah and then my background of being a small guard, man, I've a, always been trying to bridge the gap between, you know, sport and human performance. And wh- where does that come together? And what can you do to, to just to get better, you know? So uh, that, you know, specific piece of my life really, it, it it gave me fuel, you know, it discouraged me at the time, but it yeah. gave me fuel to, to kind of keep digging, man. Like I, I got great advice from a guy named Ken Black. He said, You know whatever your kids are into bury them in in that man back the truck up and just bury them if they climb out and they go to another pile hey man that thing's not for them you know whether it's art or music or whatever it is and so really man i just buried myself in in human performance and my daughter eliana was like the kind of the the key that turned the lock
2: you know No, for sure um And now fast forward, you know, we were just catching up a little bit as, uh, you know, um, just let everyone know, like Henry and I got connected for our mutual friend, Fergus Conley, when I was working on on Game Changer and 59 Lessons and (laughs) privileged to behind Henry right now is this big complex chart and stuff about intramuscular coordination and when we went into that book, Fergus had been working on an outline for 15 years and it was like a seven layer spreadsheet. And I didn't even know there were layers to spreadsheets (laughs) in Excel, man. I I didn't even know there were tabs in Excel. So um, yeah, you you and Fergus both nerd out together really hard. And man, like I, I learned so much from you and from TD as well. And you're just you're like the warrior poets of. Uh, <laughs> that's what Matt Wann at Momentus calls you guys, and and Dan John and some others, like the warrior poets of of uh, of human performance. And so, talk to us a little bit about um, the deep nerd side. Like you said, you're an extremist, right? Does it, does it in a good way? Uh, yeah. So tell us about the deep nerd side of it, and kind of taking that. Like you first got this book by Alexandre Dumas, right? You just told us about this, The Canon Monte Cristo, and. So I'm guessing you probably read every book that guy has, and you know you just went deep in. When the movie came out, you were like, "Yeah, I saw the movie like five times." And so, how did you apply that kind of deep nerding out—that what you called extremism—to human performance and going deep down the rabbit hole, and then being able to back it up and create these great takeaways for the players who you've coached and mentored?
1: Man, I think Bruce Lee says something like, uh, "Absorb uh, what's useful, uh, reject what rejects what is useless." and add uh what's what's your own something like yeah, that what's I don't know uniquely they, your own
2: yes what is
1: uniquely your own right so for me man just taking bits and pieces uh i'm so excited to talk to td and, and you feel today like i have a list of questions because i want to learn from you guys but i think for me what what really really like lights me up is to see people see transformation in their own lives whether that's physical or mental or spiritual like when they can see results it's it's amazing it what happens to their soul so I can show you like hundreds of pictures of transformation from athletes I've worked with. I'm not impressed with that, the physical piece of it, what happens in someone's soul when, when you help them transform into what they want to be or can be, and don't see is amazing to me. So for me, the process of, of learning and development is digging into specific topics and figuring out how they work and then see, taking, taking those bits and pieces, and and giving them to an athlete to a person who's trying to bridge that gap so for me the process of learning is is crucial in someone's growth you know i don't know if that answers the question no it's so
2: powerful um i started reading a book called across the river and it's basically last chance you football um in new orleans but a different story to what's been in that story arc if you watch those various schools and it it describes like the reporter in bet. if you guys have man i should just buy you all a copy and send it to you it's incredible (laughs) so it's by a report veteran reporter from the washington post whose name i'm forgetting i've read his stuff for years which is embarrassing but i just stumbled across it at the library and i was like oh yeah yeah this guy this is gonna be great so imagine last chance you basketball or football and so the, the rough side of new orleans and part of this district that they're in is less than half a mile. And I've never done like the Bourbon street. That's not my scene, man. I'm not a Vegas guy. I'm not a Bourbon street guy at all. If it was a single malt whiskey street in Scotland, I might be into that just a little bit. (laughs) um, So the guy, one of them, this is literally like 15 pages in. So you get through the, the forward and, you know, get into the intro. And then he just drops you right into this locker room scene. And it basically... They tell one of the senior leaders to surrender his jersey because he he is not earning it. He's disgracing the program. He isn't earning it, so he goes and puts to his room. He puts the jersey on and he comes back in and he just stares at the assistant coach who told him to give the jersey back. And they have three sacred jerseys in this program, like a number seven, you know. And it goes back to like, you know, national player of the year in the past and all state or a guy that made the NFL. And they're basically like, take the jersey off and give it to us. And he's like, no, come and get, basically come and get it. Like, come and peel it off me. Try to peel it off me. And he just stares the coaching staff yeah. down and the other members of And basically a fight, basically the assistant coach grabs him by the scruff of the neck and they just go at it. And they're wrestling around on the, and eventually the player's exhausted and he falls into the coach's lap and he's, he's crying and the coach is crying. And he's like, I love you, coach. The head coach just looks at them all he lets it unfold and he's like now please take off the jersey and hand it to to coach and the guy just takes it off and hands it and they continue with the leadership meeting like there's nothing going on so it's a team of senior leaders and the coaching staff and they just continue with the meeting (laughs) and it's like dude so like I said it's like last chance you basketball or football would in book form so have you ever had like a not knock down, drag out, fight, hopefully with a player, but maybe someone who's emotionally traumatized from a tough background. Maybe somebody who's addicted to drugs or to alcohol where where you've been that assistant coach and you've held your ground and they've hated you for it in the moment, but later they were like, man, you changed my life. (laughs) For sure, man. Uh, I think he'd be okay with me sharing this.
1: Uh, Caleb Holmesley is a a player that we've had here and he came in, he, he tore his ACL in high school. So he came in. And uh, I'll send you some pics of this kid. But when he got here, I wasn't a fan, man. I thought he was fat, out of shape. You know, I'm not trying to be politically correct or anything. I just didn't think he was he was working at the rate uh, to to match his dream. You know, at that point. and so, um, you know, we, we we got him to a pretty good spot, man. And I, I think he got a little comfortable. You know, maybe maybe not. Well, he ends up tearing the other ACL two years later, his, his sophomore year, right mm. in college, right. And, man, I I cried that night, man, because we had put in so much work. Uh, And for him to do the same thing, man, it happened right in front of me, man. December 10th, uh, we're playing Princeton. He goes down. And as soon as it happened, I'm like, dang it, man. Like, you can see it. Uh, So I go back. We walk in. And uh, I said, look, man, we're going to cry for 15 minutes. And then we're going to build a plan. And we're going to roll. Right? And so fast forward. Man, his senior year, he's he's one of the best players in the conference. Player of the year, you know, uh, gets an opportunity to to participate in some NBA stuff. Signs a contract with the Wizards. Um, what ha- what happened with his transformation is unreal, man. Like you can look at the physical picture, and again, you'll be blown away. But this 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 man now, he's a man playing in Germany right now. Uh, man, we walked that road together, and we had we had days where we didn't like each other. We had days where i would get pissed off like man that's not how we do it you know like y- you said you want this you know but it's just man it's every freaking day just showing up and doing what you're supposed to do you know regardless of whether you want to do it or not you know and keep i think knocking.
0: sometimes
1: yeah keep knocking man keep knocking and so he pushed me in ways where i hadn't been pushed man trying to trying to figure out how, how do i bring someone back from an acl uh and and i pushed him in ways man so quick story I would literally, I would go to our our radio guy and say, hey, well, on all the calls of Caleb, like, you know, scoring, blocking shots, whatever. I wanted to put that together compilation. I would blast that so loud in a weight room, just him and I, and he would be on a bike and just rolling. I'd say, man, you're going to listen to this, and you're going to see, you know, and I had him come up with like a, a fake intro. Welcome back to the court, Caleb Holmesley. Like, we've been waiting for this for over a year, you know, his first first appearance. And he would listen to that over and over, and he would just grind out. And now wow. he's, he's playing at a high level
0: give a couple of ideas of, of, from a physical standpoint, what are some keys and, and philosophy that you use into preparing somebody for the game physically, as we shift a little bit into some takeaways that they can use to kind of sharpen their body in addition to their, 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 their souls, as you've helped us do already in this show.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, man, I, I can't do this without talking about mental first, man, because I think I love it. every recruit that we have come in, I say, look, this is not for everybody. Like, it's not for everybody. And that's totally fine, man. I'm not going to think you're lesser of a person or, but you have to understand what you're, what you're up against, you know, to, to, to go where you want to go. So, uh, number one, man, I think self awareness is, is a superpower. Mm. You have to know who you are and know who you're not. So I think that's, that's the, the, the thing that kills most careers that I see from here is, is people coming in and trying to be who they're not. Like if you're a shooter, shoot, man. If you if you're a, if you driver slasher do what you do if when you try to get out of your lane man bad things happen you know Ooh. so i would say from a mental capacity standpoint you have to know what what it's going to take if you don't it's going to be really really freaking hard so that's part one from a physical piece so i have this this kind of thought process i think a lot of players are strong enough to do what they need to do but they're not skilled enough right or they're skilled enough but they're not strong enough Right. And when those things merge, special things happen, you know? So, you know, this is, this goes back to Fergus, Fergus's co right? You could have a player that's, uh, psychologically elite, but physical, they lack some of those capabilities, or you could have vice versa, you know, a, a physical phenom who really is like a mental man and they have a hard time remembering plays. They have a hard time just connecting with other teammates. So, uh, for me, man, if I had to put it in a nutshell, I don't want to be too long-winded, but ant-like strength and cat-like quickness, right? I want relatively strong Say athletes. That I want pound Say, that for pound.
0: Say that again. Say that again. Say that again. Say
1: that again. Yeah, yeah. So I want I want uh, ant-like strength and cat-like quickness. And to me, here's what that means. That means relative pound-for-pound pound strength and power, right? And that means the agility of a cat. You know, I want you to be able to handle your body in space. I'm not impressed if you can squat 600 or 500 or whatever the number is. Can you handle your body in space? So I want you, I want you to be relatively strong and I want you to have the the agility of a cat, right? Not always ideal, you know, those things. There's a lot that goes into that, but that would be uh, my, my short answer, I guess. Love to hear your thoughts on that TD.
0: Wow. I mean, I, I, it's, I mean, my thoughts on it are, I, that's why I, I just had to hear you say that again. Uh, it just sunk in immediately, and I, I just needed to kind of uh, just just process it a little bit more. But it's it's so uh, spot on. I I think that in terms of preparing a basketball player physically in, in this this specific you know portion of what we're talking about, that really does sum it up because I think that you. Um, you know a lot of times i think you have uh, you know in in the game and in the in in sort of the what's acceptable and almost encouraged at times and allowed in the the process of preparing yourself for the game you you have a lot of players that get very high level they 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 advance levels without having to understand how they do much else to prepare themselves on the court you know other than just just the skill work right and and so having all the skill in the world as you just talked about without having the game specific and, and, and you talked about like, are you a slasher? Are you a shooter? There's, there's, you know, you, you, any player on that court needs to have, and I'm, I, I'm just loving this ant-like strength and cat-like quickness, but there's different, you know, sort of variations of that. I have to imagine and, and understanding that, like, if you're a shooter, how are you getting to that spot is how you're going to need that. You're going to use that cat-like quickness. Um, you know, if you're a slasher, how are, how do you have that ant-like strength to get in there, get, you know, slash to where you're going, take that hit you know, and and be able to use it, and and then you know, vice versa. I mean, if you AI, if, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I mean, can you? If you're a shooter, can you? Can you? Do you have that ant-like strength to take that hit mid shot? And and you know be able to produce that that action with with getting pushed off your spot, um, you know. And and what's your first step for that slasher? Do you do you have that quickness? So it just goes all different directions. I think that that's a, a really big gap for a lot of players, and then a light bulb that goes off for a lot of players where it's like, man, I might have just hit the the furthest I can go with just getting in, get the reps, and get get my skills better how, what do I need to focus on? I mean, I think it gets overwhelming. I I find that this, like, okay, you get this information for this, this, you know, coach says to you, like, you're, you know, you're, I need you to be a little bit, Faster, I want you to do ladder drills, I want you to do push-ups, I want you to do, you know, you need to be able to jump a little bit more. You need to be able to, you know, be stronger if you need a box out, if you if you're a big man, if you're whatever it is. And it's kind of like, well, where do I start? But if you just just bring that down to those two things, I mean, it's just uh it's so key. And I I I think that it just gets overlooked until you finally hit that spot where, you know, your back's to the wall, right? It's like, no, I, I definitely have the skill to go to this next level, but I don't know if I have the the strength and the quickness. Um, how am I going to do that? And uh, um, no, I've, 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 I'm just, I'm loving that and I, I couldn't agree more.
2: Oh, I love that. Um, Henry. So moving on with your your story and with these theme, themes that you and TD just mentioned so you, you were at um, Concordia, right, for several years, um, I think both in two capacities So the head strength and conditioning coach and then also performance director. Is that is that correct?
1: So I was getting my master's at Concordia mm-hmm. and uh, a guy named Brad Barbrick was the head coach. Uh, he asked me to coach the JV team, which I started there. Uh, JV team got my master's in education there. Uh, so here's what happened. Everybody was telling me, "Hey, you got to coach and teach. You're gonna love this. You're gonna you're gonna coach high school basketball and you're gonna teach and you're gonna love it." Uh, well, I started the master's program a weekend. I told my wife, "This is not the deal. I don't want to do this." Like, so I knew, it. I knew it. Uh, so I finished the program. I, I taught uh, high school, middle school, uh, visual arts. I have an art background, uh, health, PE, strength conditioning. Did it for a year. Hated it. If I have if I have one gift, I I believe it would be like visual, just uh, art, uh, something that I've always wanted to pursue, but it's not like, remember how I said, some people want what it looks like, but not what it feels like. Like, I don't want to practice art every day. Like I enjoy taking notes, but like, I'm not willing to dive into that. From that point, uh, being back in Portland, uh, man, I knew I wanted to do that full time. And it's funny how life works. Like my mission was to play division one basketball. Did I get to play on a college team? No, but Right after college, before I went to Sweden, I played on an exhibition team back when that was legal and went all across the country playing against Division One basketball teams. Surprise, surprise, right? So fast forward, man, I wanna my dream was to, to play in the NCAA tournament. Well, for the last three years, we've been in the NCAA tournament. So I think, you know, for me, I'm going to say God answers prayers in, in a different way. You know, not always mm. the way to plan them out. Uh, so I've just kept pursuing that. TV just kept knocking on the door and things just keep yeah. opening up.
2: You know, I love that. Yeah. Talk about a little bit, the the transition from Concordia and how you landed at Liberty U. Did you know someone there or was it a job opening and you applied or what was the transition like? And in the middle somewhere you just drop in there. Well, I help outfit, you know, the Michael jo- the, that Michael Jordan Performance Center. And, and you're involved with the N7 program and Nike. And so somehow get us involved with the <laughs> Nike part of the story and then also your transition to Liberty U.
1: Yeah, man. So this is a great, great piece of my life right here. Um, unique, unique thing. I've never applied for like an adult job. You know, in college, I, I worked at GNC, Safeway, blah, 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 all that stuff. But I've never applied for a job that, that I think uh, is like a real, real job. Right. Uh, so I'm in the gym. I coached high school basketball as an assistant at uh, West Westland uh, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, P- Pritchard was a point guard who I started working with in about sixth, seventh grade coached him all the way through his junior year so I'm in the gym one night and we have like Mark Few, Jay Wright, uh, Richie McKay was at Virginia and so all these guys are in the gym and I'm working out Peyton Pritchard and Anthony Mathis and we're getting after it man we're doing what we normally do you know I'm sharing my my kind of template of how I do things what time I do them Uh, and so Richie's in there and I walk up and I say hey Richie man I know you're a believer I appreciate your public display of faith I'm a believer I keep it on the low like that was the conversation. We traded phone numbers. We traded a few books. He was back like three more times. Just they were, they really wanted Peyton at Virginia. Right. Mm. So, um, in that course he watched a couple of workouts. So one day he's in there and we work out Peyton and I at 6am, we come back. I think we worked out at noon on the track and we came back at 9pm and Richie was at all three of the workouts, I think. And he's like, man, what the heck is going on? You know, I'm like, yeah, this guy, he's, he's a workhorse, man. He just goes. Uh, so, he said, "Listen, I think you could do this at a high level. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to give me a resume. I'm going to try to get you in at Virginia." Well, things didn't work out at Virginia. Uh, he said, "Right now, I'm an associate head coach. I'm going to be a head coach again. Like this is where God has me now, uh, but I'll be a head coach again. Cool, whatever. You know." So, fast forward a little bit. Uh, I'm walking my son to the bus stop, and we wrestle around. He grabs my shirt, and he's like, "Dad, this is the best day of my life." Turns and gets on the bus, and I was like. Man, if this is the best day of this kid's life, man, I'm in trouble, man. This is weak. I pick up my phone and I call my boss at Nike, Beth Oliver. And I said, look, I'm going to take 30 days off. You can fire me, do whatever you want, but I need to regroup and I need to recalibrate my family. Uh, I'm gonna go to recess, plays, lunch, all that stuff. She's like, no, no, tie up any loose ends. You're good. We'll see you in 30. The next day, literally, Richie calls and says, hey, I'll have a job in three days. Do you want to go or not? I sprint home. Tell my wife, like, look, there's a job offer. Uh, I don't know where it's at. I don't know anything about it. She says, "I'll go anywhere except for the East Coast. Anywhere, <laughs> right?" And yes. we didn't know it was, we didn't know it was Lynchburg. So, sure enough, we uh we see the press conference, whatever. It's uh Lynchburg, Virginia. She's like, "We're not going to Lynchburg." So basically, they they flew us in, recruited my wife. I walk into the office Saturday morning. Richie stands up, shakes my hand. He says, "Congratulations." I'm like, "For what?" He's like, "You guys are coming." done deal wife said so so uh, my, yeah, my wife accepted it. so yep. did he
2: personally talk her in or did his wife talk to your wife or how
1: did that go down ah uh, man i think she just fell in love with the place man she saw like it was a great place to raise a family cost right. of living was good university did, they have all was the leaves?
2: did he bring you out when the leaves are all beautiful and-
1: <laughs> well, it was pretty nice man it was pretty yeah. nice yeah that's so awesome. that's uh, that was seven years ago man i've been here seven years so it's been a a great ride. You know, we were horrible. Lost thirteen Division One games in a row, uh, our first yeah. year. Uh, I was like, I don't even know why I came here. This is, you know, this is uh, this is off coming coming off of winning three straight state titles with Peyton Pritchard in Oregon. Yeah. You know? So it was like, man, I was used to winning, even if it was at the high school level, and I was used to being around like elite athletes. Peyton is an elite like thinker, worker. Um, so just being around great people.
2: Yeah. So mentally, again. Talk to us a little bit about mental resilience, about fortitude, about trusting that. Like you said, sometimes God doesn't say we think he just says a hard yes or a hard no. But sometimes he says wait or he doesn't say anything. Right. So for a while. Um, So talk to us a little bit about you go from this winning situation with this this guy who's one of the all time greats in high school basketball nationwide you know, has an amazing college career. And then it's like, wow, well, you know, is ready to light it up at the next level now. So to, from that to obviously a job you're enthused about, like, wow, you're, you're, you're praising that you've got this opportunity that your friend kept you in mind. He'd always had you in mind. He managed to recruit your wife pretty hard and, and she gives you the green light and we're good. you got the job, man. And then you lose a bunch of games. What was that like both for you and coach? And maybe how did you encourage each other? And how did you quite literally keep the faith through that time? Oh, man,
1: that was really discouraging. That was a hard time, you know, but perspective-wise, it's a game, right? Uh, I really, really believe in what we're doing here and how we're doing it. So there's only a couple times in my life. So one is working at Nike. When I would drive on campus at Nike, I would think to myself, no one on the planet is doing better than this right here. I promise you, (laughs) like from from how they manicure the, the lawns to the facilities to the people that are working there, nobody's doing it at this level. I promise. Right. Mm. So when I when I pull up to Liberty University and I go into our basketball program, I say to myself, look, nobody's doing it like we're doing it. They, they could be close. Right. But for us and what we're doing, we do what works for us. We know who we are and we know who we're not. Right. And we build our program off specific pillars that, that have meaning to how, what the direction we want to go.
2: What Does that are your make sense? Yeah. What are, your what pillars? are that? you? Yeah. Yep. Tell
1: us? yep. Yep, so play hard, play smart, play together with purpose. Each of those has a unique piece. So play hard, it means to compete, to give your very best. That's play hard. Played smart, that's accountab- accountability with discipline. Every detail adds up. All right, play together is we over me, Teamship, And play with purpose is audience of one. Audience of one, what's that? Audience tell
0: us,
1: tell us. Uh, being a faith-based university, you know it's super, super important. So our audience is one, and that's God. You know, like Love it, it. it doesn't matter. We're not, we're not uh, playing for the the praise of of media or specific people. It's the audience of one.
0: And then tell us about that principles, practice, professional. You, you've you've talked about that to me before.
1: Yeah, man. So alliterations, acronyms, things that help you memorize things are are, they they vibe with me, man. I just resonate. So,
2: yeah, it's another Fergus thing, right? Like the glow, slow flow thing with the recovery. I still remember that from five, six Uh, years ago. Fergus
1: has had a huge influence on my life as a person and as a professional. I think he's a great human being. Like, I think highly of Fergus.
2: He loves the Um, acronyms and the little sayings, the rhyming. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. So, um, You guys ever read the book Principles by Ray Dalio? No, I haven't yet. It's a good one, man. It's it's it really unique in how it's written. But uh, Principles, he talks about principles becoming like concepts. So with our guys, I want you to be able to live and play out of concepts. If your principles are strong enough, you you can you can start bending the rules because you understand the baseline, the principles of that, right? Mm -hmm. So once you have principles set, you 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 build these concepts. And to me, when you can play and live out of concepts, you don't have to. Everything's not just – so, he, T.B., here's like a, a strength conditioning piece, right? Human performance. Yeah. In academics, they, they, they teach you that there's these cycles, right? You're going to follow like a three-week cycle, six-week cycle. Well, in the real world, it might take you eight weeks to make adaptation. It might make, take me six, right? So I can't bank on just like, hey, we're going to do this 12-week program. At the end of 12 weeks, you're going to jump higher. Right. Well, maybe it's like 14 weeks or, or six weeks, and we're going to see the results we want. But there's always – a gray area. So if I don't have my principles set,
2: I'm going to be like, Oh man, this just didn't work. Yeah. Well, it didn't. Or, or it you didn't, didn't work work. try hard enough. Or you you, didn't must have try learned, hard it. you told me you were doing it and you weren't right. You didn't adhere to the program. Come on, man. 100%. 100%.
1: You know, so I, I think it's a little bit like that. Uh, uh, so that's the principles piece. I think Love once that. you have principles, they become concepts. So practice to me means like literally, if you have a medical practice, what do you do every day? You know, and I think that's like a precursor to becoming a pro. And so for me, this is like a, it really makes sense in my head. So I have these principles, they become practices in my life, and that Mm. that feeds my profession and it feeds me becoming a pro in whatever I do.
0: The thing that was unique between the the common denominator between those great players that I uh, had had uh, the opportunity to be around was that they had this common denominator of, they had principles that they used to prepare themselves for the game and they just stuck to them. They weren't trying to, you know, it wasn't some revolutionary thing that was so something that nobody else is doing or, you know, that it was just that they kind of stuck to the pattern. They stuck to the principles, that helped them to be in and translated as you talk about Henry into them being a professional. There's a lot of players that were just as physically talented as them, as those players. Why did they elevate? What was it? I mean, one of the things was they just, they just got their principles early on. They stuck to them and they just kept repeating, repeating, repeating to make it habits and practice. That's the practice part of what you talk about Henry. And, and, and then that turns you into this pros pro or this craftsman of what you do instead of just, you know, getting a paycheck and doing pretty good at it. And so I think that those are some of the things that I, I, I really, you know, that resonate with me when you talk about that, Henry, the, the, the principles, the practice, and then the profession, how those sort of trickle into one into the other is, is just really well said on your part.
1: So a couple of things, man, just based on what you just said. So um, here's what I tell my guys. If you come to me and tell me you're strong, and even if I test you, and I know you have strength, if you can't use that strength on demand, you're not really strong. So I talk about like uh, Netflix type strength or Amazon Prime type strength. If you can't use your strength on demand, I don't think you're strong. At least not in the context that we need, right? So that's wow. the first thing that I wrote down there. Uh, we can that's dig in amazing. on that. Yeah, next- yeah. Talk
2: to yeah. Dig in on that. So talk to me a little bit of, about a guy who's been told since he was 10 years old either by his dad or PE football coach, like. You need to be able to back squat the house son like we're going to get you to 200 pounds and then 300 pounds or to, you know maybe it's a deadlift you know a dad in the garage or you know he gets to high school and the coach is a big deadlift guy or an olympic guy so talk sure. to me a little bit about jim strong versus being able to being on demand being netflix or amazon prime on demand strong
1: yeah so any any explosive sport and i think we can nerd out a little bit but like we talk about ground contact times right so, mm. like, they're, they're happening under, like, 250 milliseconds, right? They're mm. super, super fast, and that's probably slow when you talk about sprinting and stuff like that, you know? So, I think, like, helping athletes understand, like, uh, how hard, how fast, and in what direction. How hard, how fast, and in what direction. Those are super, super important principles for them to, to know and understand, right? And then if you dig into the layers below that, like, biomechanically, are you putting yourself in the most advantageous position? You know, if you're a genetic freak, you can play defense from any position you want but if you're not if you don't know angles and how to cut guys off like geometrically well then it, that's going to that's going to be a limiting factor you know td talked about that earlier you know and then beyond that do i start to understand the game and know what my team needs out of this like if we we play a, a pack line defense so it's it's a it's an intricate level of knowing what the the next guy's going to do you know from a defensive mindset right so that was that was what i was thinking about when you're talking about you know, the the practices helping you become a pro. Yeah. Uh, the, the second thought I wrote down, I've, I've been to probably like 10 or 20 NBA workouts, right? I've had great opportunities. Yeah. And I've never seen anything where, where I, man, I've never seen that before. I've never been in that situation. They do these, uh, I call it simplicity with excellence. Okay, I'm gonna give you the last thought I wrote down as you were talking there, just taking notes on what you were saying. Um, how do you know when you're leveling up? right? This is the question I get from, from athletes. I think about it. How do you know when you're going to the next level? Here's, here's what I've come up with. Right. I think, you know, you're going to the next level when you can make adjustments in real time. Right. So that's a little bit, think on that a little bit. So let's say, let's say um, we play a game, right? We're on the same team and I have a bad game, quote, bad game. Right. So I watch the tape, watch the film and I, I start to understand what did I do wrong? Right. I think next level players and next level people in business and sport, they make real time adjustments. They don't wait until mm. has to tell them in film, like, Hey man, you should have probably done this, this, and this in real time. They're making these changes quickly. Right. And that to me is, is when I know players are making progress at a different level. They're thinking on a totally different level. They're, they're learning from your mistakes, not just their own.
2: So this is what think you, maybe is the in the moment improvisation. So one of the most famous um, surfer images of all time is the Surfer magazine cover of Led Hamilton on what's called the Millennium Wave. So if you just go to U- YouTube, even if you don't know how to spell chopu, which is kind of hard to spell because it's a native word <laughs> in in, in uh, Tahiti, but this wave breaks on a reef that literally is razor sharp coral beneath the surface, and a guy the week. So this is in the year 2000, hence the term Millennium Wave. The week before, a guy, uh, an experienced local surfer. And this is a horrendous wave. Like, we're not talking about a cream puff wave that's, you know, 70 foot. We're talking about a 20, 30 foot wave, but it's thicker than it is high. And it slammed this guy head first on the reef and like part of his face got torn. So this is not messing around. So Laird Hamilton, obviously, is not playing around either. Him and Dave Kalama. And I know these guys pretty well. i you worked know, with XPT, with um, those guys out there for a long time. Laird is not playing around in any way. Neither, <laughs> neither is his wife, Gabby Reese, who he always says she's the better athlete. So imagine that for a minute. Um, right. So Laird goes out with the knowledge of what just happened to one of the most notable surfers ever to come out of Tahiti. And Laird's been, you know, him and Kalama and Derek Dorner and these guys, Brett Lickle, have been out in Jaws when it's 70, 80 feet, like legit. Hawaiian which means it's 100 feet for everyone else and he improvises to the point on this millennium wave he gets towed in and this thing is so thick and nolly. so you go after that anyone listening go go google or go look up on YouTube Led Hamilton millennium wave and to your point Harry Henry he he doesn't have to break down film of all of his misses earlier that day they've been out there in the water for five six hours and this perfect wave comes out and Derek Dorner says like he wanted to yell to him don't let go of the rope, don't let me tow you into this, but he looks back to say it, and Laird's already let go, and he's already in this thing, and he has to use his reverse hand. So if you've ever seen a surfer, right, that familiar they're in a deep surf stance, they got that one hand that if they need to counterbalance, they put that back. He has to reverse his body. So it's like Vince Carter, the 360 dunk going against the grain. (laughs) At the, the dunk contest the same year right 2000 it's over ladies and gentlemen kenny smith the same thing the improvisation they don't need to go go back to the beach break down gopro footage drone footage oh man well maybe if you think about turning the other way and using your reverse hand he just does it in the moment so i love what you're saying that a true master of the craft on the court on a wave in life can pivot instinctually in the moment and make genius happen. And it's unconscious. It's just, they're in a flow state and it's just in the moment.
0: Henry, what do you think? I mean, in your experience, do you see somebody come in without that, you know, in the moment, make real time adjustments ability and then develop it? Or does that, is that a personality that trait that is, makes it not more easy and comfortable for some people than others. Can you work on that? Can you develop that?
1: I think you can. So, so to me, I'm going to give you a a process, filters and framework. Right. So framework to me is like educational experiences, like really formal, like, like blocks, right. Your filter is how you begin to see the world. Right. I think uh, Michael Gervais says uh, how you see yourself, how you see the world and how you operate in that context. Mm. all right that's kind of like mm. the mindset piece right so i what i see is <laughs> liberty is a place where we're going to have a guy for four years right so they're going to start to understand the layers the complexity of what we do defensively or whole game wise right so they can start to make reads and see things ahead of time right so they're making mm. real decisions and they're even seeing things before they happen right uh, and that happens on both ends of the court so i think i think experience is man it the hard thing about experiences, is it takes so long. So my first question for you today is, is when I say learning and development, learning and development, what comes to mind for you? Like, how do you, how do you define that? How do you live it? Learning and development.
0: You ever see the picture of MJ when he's, he's, he's on one knee at the scores table and uh, either during a timeout or someone's shooting a free throw or he's about to check into the game. He's looking at um, Dean Smith as if, as if mj is a a a you know 5 year old in kindergarten just trying to be you know be immersed and and take in you know this this awesome new project that we're about to paint something on a on a on a you know beautiful new piece of paper and i've got an open canvas and i'm just That's that. So to answer your question, that's what I think of when, when you say learning and development, that's what I think of. I think of you, you've got to find this picture. If you haven't seen it, his, the look on his face is just like, just, it just says learning and development. It's just he's just oozing that that sort of emotion, that that intent and that that uh, um willingness. I think it's a willingness to be open to learn and and that's the greatest player of all time, as many would argue. Um, you know, certainly, yeah, he's sitting there, he's on one knee looking up at one of the greatest coaches of all time. But still, you know, there's plenty of kids that Dean Smith coached that didn't have that approach.
1: That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. All right, man. I know we're running out of time. Last one. So so give me a little taste each of you of how you set your life up. Like how, how do you how did you get to this point? And like what are what are some just little nuggets people could learn from from the way that you set up your life? Everybody
0: who's ever, you know, been around me to just go back to my work ethic, my willingness to do what it takes and then some and to never be outworked. And you know, there's a there's a side, there's a there's a dash to that. The dash is, can you do that and be enjoyable to be around? So that goes into kindness and compassion. And and that goes into, you know, cause I, I you know, you, you have people that are, are ruthless and they're, they're willing to work, do all the work and they're, you know, cutthroat and they're this, that, and the other thing. And um, if you can't do that and then, have people say, but man, <laughs> I, I look back and that was enjoyable to be around that person. Um, I think you just left half of half of the fruit on the table there, and and so I, I think those two things. That's really how I try to um, what I try to strive for. I've, I've learned some of that the hard way. I always had the, the, the work hard piece. I always had that. And then sometimes I can get so intense and so narrow, uh, just kind of laser focused and, and blinders on that. I, 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 you know, you know, I think in, in sort of early parts of my career, when I'm trying to filter everything and and trying to put this all together and put it into place, you, you, there's a, a story I've told before on, on other, um, a couple times of when i had a was a strength coach uh, for the Bakersfield Jam and uh the head coach there pulled me aside on my first road trip and first basically month on the job and he's like look i can tell you know what you're doing but um we have a big problem we, the players are not enjoying um working with you right now uh you 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 you're so focused on making sure that everything that is on your plate gets gets done at such a high level you're you're forgetting that huge piece and um, yeah i went back to my room and i cried and i i promised that would never happen again so um could probably cry right now talking about it but um you know so i think i think that that for me is putting those two things together is, is, is really, really a a beautiful puzzle when you can get them to click. And when they're off, when they're, they're both there side by side equal amounts um, is, is, is what I, what I try to base my life off of.
2: No, I love that, man. I love that. Oh, that was money. That was money. (laughs) I think um, for me, and this is born out of, you know, we have a shared faith, Henry, and for anyone listening, if this is going to turn them off, I apologize. And it's not saying that I'm better than you. As as the Apostle Paul writes, I'm the chief of sinners, you know, like we all are in our own way. So um, it, it's actually out of a place of humility. And, and, and I think um, someone else that shared that faith was Do- Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I would never try to <laughs> mention myself deliberately in the same sentence as this great man, this great leader otherwise. But he has a quote that um everybody can be great because anybody can serve and recently rich froning came out with a with a t-shirt that said one says pray one says serve and there's another one i think that says into the storm and i'm like man i need to drop some t-shirt money and just buy the one that says serve so how can i serve td so td has these great principles um these great practices and these this great pro attitude so he is the definition not to blow too much sunshine up your dress he did about him doing it um, <laughs> so he's living this this three p's right and there's an audience on this other side who can benefit from this and put it into practice in how they live their life, how they approach the game of basketball um, as a coach a performance director a player um, moms and dads. Like if, you, if you're struggling with, with just trying to fit in a workout here or there or, or you're struggling with your body weight or body composition, TD's programs are for you. So how can I serve? I can be the channel in the written word and hopefully with facilitating a little bit on this show um, and serve him by being the conduit between his principles, his ideas, his practices and his professionalism and people on the other side of the equation that can benefit that. It's been the same for Kelly Starrett, Andy Galpin, Brian McKenzie, Fergus Conley, all the others that I've been blessed to learn at the feet of. And also it benefits me because I'm getting a real world PhD in how to be a better human being, a better father, hopefully a better husband some of the time. Um, (laughs) Hopefully, right? Um, A better writer, a better communicator, And just trying to, and then I think the second thing I'm striving for, but I have not yet achieved is essentialism. So I I preach Greg McKeown's ideas and principles a lot. And it's really that Bruce Lee thing you said of, um, you know, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless and add what what is uniquely your own. And I think my problem is TD's problem is I am the hammer. Like my dad left school at 14, 15, was a stonemason, worked in funerals for a long time um worked really hard and made no money and he supported me my brother my, my two half sisters debbie and jackie and my mom on less money than we spend on food in a year mm. right mm. never bought anything for himself my wife bought him a pair of shoes because he wears holes in his shoes before he he would ever replace him right he grew up dirt poor um And when my wife met me in college, I had holes in my shoes and my budget, (laughs) my budget was $5 a week, guys. Like I worked double shifts at the pub with my friend, John O'Lloyd, all summer. I worked physical plant, the library, the athletic center. I played college basketball and soccer, and I graduated in three years with a 3.97 GPA and got married at the end of my sophomore year. And so I did 69 hours of school in one year, junior and senior year. And that's to honor my dad and my mom and the sacrifices they made. So if I can combine servant leadership, um, how Mm. can I serve you, Henry? How can I serve you, TD? How can I serve Mm. Jim Afromo, the other collaborators I have? Um, If I can get to the point of not just trying to layer on more work and more work and more work, but be more selective about the people that I team up with and do that more, um, and then if I can love Lord my God with, with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and love my neighbor as myself, then I think i check the boxes hopefully. And I'm, I'm trying to get better. Amazing.
0: Cheers to that gentlemen.
2: Yeah. That's a big time, man.
0: Um, all right. So Henry, we close every show with this. Um, my question to you to, to, to wrap us up and go as, as long as you need in whatever direction as you want Um, go as as technical, as spiritual, as anything in between as you want. What does it mean to you to be basketball strong?
1: Man, I have a quote in my head from Mike Dunlap. It's, uh, basketball like life is a leverage game. Those who can position themselves have the best opportunity for success. And that's not like leveraging other people, manipulating. That's just uh, understanding who you are, what you do, knowing who you're not, and building on those things. So I think basketball strong is having the requisite strength to, to, to do what you need to do. You know, it's a, it's,
0: yeah.
1: it's a great answer, but it's, that's how I feel about it.
0: No, that's not great at all. I mean, that's, uh, (laughs) that's it, right? That's, and what you did was you, you know, that quote is awesome because and I hadn't heard it before, but it's, it's, it's on the court, off the court. I mean, that's, um, you know, and that's, we, we all can be sitting here in some way, whether, you know, it's, it's listeners right now, whether it's, it's, it's either the three of us is, you know, the game, the game brought us here, but you know, what, what we, (laughs) <laughs> what we've just kind of just just laid out and and kind of dissected and and taken from to learn and grow together is um is is in the game out of the game it's uh i love that i love that one uh, Henry, this is amazing, and uh, thank you so much. You you epitomize what it is to to you know live live walk talk and and breathe and 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 kind of behave of what it is to be basketball strong, which has you know so much more to do outside of the game than even inside the game. And and thank you for uh, opening up uh, in in this format and and just kind of sharing that with so many people beyond just uh, Phil and I. So much much love. Thank you, brother. All right, man. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram, at TD Athletes Edge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong.